you asked for more interviews, we delivered this time. In this episode, we have an interview with Carl Evans and we talk about his grab project, Lua and F Lua in bass, as well as BCTL, being on the core team and a whole lot of other stuff in this week's episode of BSD. Now. Now, episode 373, Kyle Evans interview, recorded for the 14th of October 2020. We answer a lot of FreeBSD and ZFS questions on the show, but if your company needs real support, you should get a support subscription for your ZFS and FreeBSD infrastructure. Simply sign up for a monthly subscription from clarasystems.com. Even better, if you sign up this month, October, uh, we're giving away three months for free for every yearly subscription and one month free with every six month subscription. Head over to our website and check it out, clarasystems.com. Uh, this week's episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow and start doing your backups. Tarsnap is the best backup service because it is both fast and secure. And, you know, being backups for the truly paranoid, they actually mean it. It's not just a marketing tagline, it actually takes uh, you know, paranoid levels of security seriously. And that's why you get the source code for the client so that you can ensure that all the encryption is happening on your machine with only your key that only you have, and it's never transmitted across the internet. And then your data, once in, it has been deduplicated and compressed uh, and encrypted with that key, is sent off to the cloud where it can be retrieved later, only you can actually decrypt it to be able to make use of that data. So Tarsnap is the only service that is willing to show you the code and prove that it's doing the most secure backups possible. And it's all prepaid and easy per gigabyte pricing. So check it out. Head over to tarsnap.com BSD now and give it a try. It only costs a few dollars to get started and you get to see how great it is. All right. A lot of people have asked us for more interviews on the show, and Alan made it happen today with Kyle Evans. So welcome, Kyle, on the show. Glad to have you here. And uh, since you haven't been on the show, we ask you our very first questions that everyone gets is, how did you get introduced to BSD? So that was uh, basically through university. Someone else in my one of my classes had been using uh, FreeBSD specifically, and they just kind of mentioned, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've kind of wanted to check that out. So then I uh, threw it on a server and uh, really liked just how clean and just how clean it is in general. It was also much easier to manage than uh, I think I was running Arc those days. It was, it was not great. Uh, then uh, So I basically just running it as a server and then thinking to myself as I'm doing more and more work on it. This is great. And this grip really sucks. Um, and then it just kind of started from there. Okay, that's uh, good. So you mentioned grep. So can you tell us a bit about your work on the BSD grep project and how that started? Yeah, so so that was, uh, and it started as a GSOC project, I think back in 2011 or so. And uh, it, so I, I had looked at GNU grep it was in base and decided that was just terrible. It's sold and doesn't work 
how I wanted to at all. Um, and then I discovered, hey, there's this other grip that sucks a little less, at least. And uh, so I started working on that, and then looking through Bugzilla, like, oh man, there's so many bugs against this thing still. Okay, so this guy needs some work. Um, so I put a couple months worth of effort into refactoring and trying to fix all the problems. And, um, managed to get quite a few patches in there for from uh that and reg regular expression work did you do some unix programming before that or was that your first project of this kind oh that was pretty much the first yeah i guess grep is probably a bit challenging because you know people depend on even the bugs that it has being the same <laughs> <laughs> right but compatible to the last bit i think that that came up even earlier this week the one of the scripts in the OpenZFS build does a grep to decide if a file is something. I forget what the point was, but it depends on the grep, and, and our grep was giving a different answer and causing the test to fail. <laughs> I think it was uh, whether slash s means space or if you have to do like the bracket bracket colon space colon thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a GNU extension we don't support. Yeah. <laughs> But the project was also about um, performance improvements, right? Yeah, so we haven't we haven't done too much of that quite yet. Um, the one of the GNU grep guys, I don't remember who it was at the moment, had outlined a lot of stuff that we could be doing to improve that. Uh, and I was slowly working towards that point, but then I got distracted by other shiny objects and uh, haven't haven't made it back to that just yet. Okay, yeah, first the box out and then the performance in. Yeah. They, 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 there's, there's a lot of cases where you don't really need to read line by line, but we still do. Um, you can, you could instead, like, if you don't need to know line numbers or anything like that, then you can really just get away with reading and processing like a 4K chunk and uh, operating on that instead. And it goes much quicker, especially with some of the regular expression um, optimizations that we have. Or, you know, gripping really large files, the, the bigger the chunks are, the better, I think, right? Mm. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so what's the, the, I guess, the current status of the BSD grep project? How good of a replacement for grep and base is it? So it's, it's for most people, it's probably fine. I mean, it still doesn't support GNU extensions, but it is at least largely fixed and tends to operate a lot better than the GNU grep and base. The... I mean, the the real downside is just the extension situation, since uh, an unknown number of ports may really want even the amount that's supported in GNU grep and base. Um, so I I kind of need to get those implemented, but then we can switch it over pretty quickly. Okay, well that kind of answered my follow up question: is what's what would it take for us to switch? And it's just we have to, you know, provide a real drop in replacement for what's currently there, so we don't cause unexpected explosions. Right, and then, yeah, because the, the porch tree, then we also need to evaluate after that if we can remove any uh, hard dependencies on the GNU-Grep port from ports, because I had to go through and add a large number of those in GNU-Set dependencies as well um, for general expressions. Right, anything that, that needed the GNU extensions will use those versions of Grep and Set instead of ours. Right, because we... we we'd, We've historically been really lenient when you try to escape like an S. So when when the uh, test had you know backslash S, 
we interpret that as an ordinary literal S rather than space. Uh, and that that masks a lot of problems like that. Um, you you don't really know how how big of a problem it is because, well, we've just kind of been pretending it's okay and it's really not. Yeah, I think I remember when Pearl or something switched to yelling at you when you escaped something that didn't need escaping uh, so that you would know that your regular expression wasn't doing what you thought it was. But then it was like, all this code doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so, but you didn't stop there. Uh, you did some other work, uh, for example, with Lua and F-Lua. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I had never actually used Lua before in my life. Never seen Lua in my life. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I've never actually uh, played with it until, you know, Warner was talking about importing the Lua scripts and how they still needed some work to... Uh, achieve parity with the fourth loader and uh so i looked at that and i'm like hey that'd be kind of fun so we started learning lua that day and uh it's 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 a nice language it's really fun so we i put many many hours of work into the, the lua base loader and talking to Devin about how we what we need to do to get it to where it needs to be. that 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 ended up that i'd really anticipated but I think it worked out pretty well. And then we, so after that, we uh, introduced Flua, F Flua, uh, and rewrote some stuff in that. We still have more that we can rewrite in it. And, uh, it's just generally useful to have. Yeah. So the, the concept behind F Flua is a version of Lua in the base system, but it's, you know, specifically for use by FreeBSD if you have a, another Lua application, you install real Lua from ports. And that allows the FreeBSD project to, you know, kind of do whatever they need with FLua without uh, having to make stability guarantees to end users, uh, you know, like the problems we had in FreeBSD 4 when we shipped Perl in base. <laughs> if we had just called it FPerl, it would have been fine. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the Lua project, both of them were very interesting. Like for the bootloader, I know... It was a lot of work, but once you did it, it became really easy to do stuff like, oh, for package base, we're going to have multiple versions of the curl or kernel installed in the end, and you'll be able to just flip through them in the menu. And writing the code to do that in Lua is just a little bit of code that is understandable to anyone who's written anything in any scripting language before, uh, and trying to do it in force. <laughs> yeah, and we've also, uh, that opens us up to stuff like being able to have a loader.conf.e directory that you can stash in that uh someone had requested it i have actually have a branch with that in it because that's mm -hmm. really i mean that's i think it's maybe 12 lines over one now to just process all of these files and it's uh, i i can't imagine trying to do it in fourth honestly i'm not yeah there, there are the three or four people well <laughs> i think there are or four or five people in the FreeBSD project that can write good fourth and there's two of them that like it. <laughs> that want to use it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad we have them, but I'm glad I don't have to be one of them. <laughs> and then, yeah, like the Eflua, it's looking like it'll be really nice to have something as kind of a, a midway point between, you know, you can try to do it as a shell script or you write it in C, basically. Because, uh, you know, some of the shell scripts we have are... Oh, awfully complicated when it, it didn't have to be that way because we could use yeah, the, the first one i rewrote was the uh 
make syscalls shell script that was you know a shell script piping said to awk and it was just absolutely crazy and we had so much boilerplate we needed to add when a new branch was created because you know you have to have cat options for the new branch and it's it's just it was it was a complete mess and i tried to rewrite some of that so that you could generate part of the boilerplate but then that got rejected with just uh we should really rewrite this in something else it's like well, okay we can we can do lua that sounds like a, a nice option here i mean it's it's really good for text processing yeah which is not something you want to do in c if you can avoid it all mm. uh and mm -hmm. it's pretty fraught or slow trying to do it in shell because either you're limited to what you can do in line in shell or you're having to shell out to stuff and that just gets slow really quickly absolutely so i'm looking forward to what we'll be able to do with that and what having it will unlock as far as um you know opportunities for more sysadmin types to be able to contribute to freebsd and, and help expand that tooling yeah, and it's it's interesting because we have had a couple other people uh latch onto it a little bit um ryan's been doing a lot of good work with libif config and some lua interfacing there and, uh, i think if we were talking about libjl maybe that would also be a pretty pretty nice one to have uh just and i think it already has libucl hooked up yeah right? i think so yeah i think i think he did libucl already yeah. yeah so the fact that it could process what we hope to become the definitive config file format means it opens up lots of opportunities to do interesting stuff uh so i guess the next project that uh you got involved in was uh bectl ah yes yeah so that, that was another gsoc project that uh was sitting in a gsoc tree somewhere and it's uh it is i hadn't actually used b atom all that much um i but i i wanted to and then i think alan alan had uh pointed out you know, this is sitting over here. It's like, okay, I, maybe I'll work on that a little bit. So, yeah, I, I was the the mentor for that GSOC, and it, it was most of the way done. Uh, and the student managed to spend a little bit of time on it after GSOC was over. Uh, but then they got a job, and and were awfully busy. Uh, but then I managed to to you know nerd snipe Kyle with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that was another fun one since it's you know what B Adam has traditionally provided. Um, and most of the work that really needed to go into it was just small stuff here and there and completing some of the extra functionality like uh, the jail jail subcommand, which is absolutely nice to have. Um, and that it's 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 a pretty handy tool to have in base, honestly. Oh yeah, and it's easy enough that people can can use it without studying the man page too much. Also, although there is a man page and has everything in there. But yeah, it's better than installing a port first to have uh, snapshots or your boot environments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know. And then with the recent work uh, Tumas did as well uh, to better integrate it with ZFS boot CFG and so on and, and get that uh, as a first-class feature in upstream open ZFS as well uh, means that we're just getting more and more options there. Okay, that was that. That one was particularly exciting since now we can, in theory, use this stuff on UEFI, which uh, that, that was kind of limit limiting beforehand. Since, yeah, yeah, because uh, the ZFS boot CFG stuff depended on knowing 
only writing it to the the boot disk, not all the disks. And now it's a first class part of ZFS where you you, you do the octal and it goes to the whole pool, and so it all works with EFI. Yeah, that 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 was just incredibly important. It it's it was just really unnecessary. I mean, yeah, it was mostly just the the kind of hack that I think it was. I forget if it was uh, Andre Groupon or Alan Summers who originally uh, built the ZFS boot CFG stuff, but uh, it was really nice to have, but it was, uh, I think at the time, being careful not to use too much of the ZFS label stuff uh, because it was just a local FreeBSD extension. But when an Illumos vendor was also doing almost the same thing, but slightly different in the same spot, uh, and then that was all going into open, upstream open ZFS. We're like, all right, well, what if we just make it an NV list and anybody can put whatever keys they want in there and it'll be, uh, <laughs> nobody's going to clobber anybody else's stuff. Okay. Uh, switching gears here a little bit, you had, uh, oh, you put yourself into the hat and got elected to the FreeBSD core team in the summer. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you did find that experience so far? It's, 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 it's definitely a, a, a different experience. Um, behind the curtain at some of the management issues that go on in the project um and some the way the way decisions are made and whatnot it's uh, it's definitely different than anything i'd experienced to date but it's not a bad one yeah i mean alan and i were on core for two terms and i think we both had a similar experience and you also get like like eight more or if you count in the core secretary, you get eight people that you're working very close with and on a different level that you did before when we're working on the code. And yeah, that's an interesting experience working so closely on many of the project's goals and things that you want to achieve in this term. And yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of work. But did you go into it with some uh, like agenda items that you want to see done during this term or were just open to anything that was on the plate already. Kind of open, but also wanting to generally work on some communications problems. Because um, we, we give those. And it's 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 a slow work in progress. Yeah. Right, you cannot fix this overnight. It's, it's a long process and needs uh, a bit careful handling sometimes, but also sometimes you're you're in the, the management team or in the team that has the say at the end and you can kind of direct people. Right, and, right. Um, you know, steer things in the right direction, I would say. And it's also the diversity on core, I think. Having programmers and, I, I don't know, ports people and documentation writers and not just a whole bunch from the same group. But yeah, the interesting thing with core is a lot of people see it as um, the way to um, get things done in the project. But in general, it's actually a way to use up a lot of your productivity on not getting those goals you had done. Yeah, so someone's got to do it, though. But, you know, everybody's got to take their turn because it's, uh, it's stuff that needs right. to be done. It's just yeah, often not that much fun to do. Yeah, it's, it, most of these are long-term things, not just, oh, I'll commit this and it's, and it's fixed and everyone is happy, but it's long-term and, you know, following up and asking people, hey, is this fixed now? Is that okay now? Or you know, uh, following up with people that, that said they want to do something. And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's different work. Yeah, then definitely uh, good luck on your term, of course, and the other people. 
and uh, yeah, we will watch the space, of course. And yeah, I think it's an interesting experience, how, however it goes. And maybe you run again, maybe you don't, but it's it's always experience that you get out of the whole thing. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, you know, somebody's got to do it. Uh, you also picked up another project I had worked on when I was in core. One of my goals was I want the damn SSL to work out of the box because, you know, having to go read the fetch man page to find the name of the environment variable to set to make it ignore SSL <laughs> so I could download this thing from GitHub uh, in order to finish getting the machine up and get the packages working or whatever was too much of a pain. <laughs> so I had started this project to uh, in incorporate the Mozilla certificate bundle into base, but in such a way that it was possible for people to add additional certs to the trust store or be able to, you know, um, block certain certs from being trusted. Uh, but I kind of ran out of energy to finish it and I managed to convince Kyle to pick it up. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so that, that was another one that was substantially complete before I started touching it. Um, and it's, well, it's, you know, it's the first 80% was done and it was just the second 80% left to go, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was mostly small stuff that it was kind of not really going to pick up that what the problems are unless you're using it in anger. And uh, we've fortunately had some of that go on. I mean, at least Michael's been using it. Uh, uh, Michael Osipov, I probably just butchered his last name, but he's he'd been using it quite a bit, it seems. and pointing out the various problems and I still have a small list of problems that need to be fixed in ports, but those are fortunately uh, ports problems, not base problems. So that, that can happen on a little different time scale. Uh, as of right now, we're shipping 12.2 with certs or with the root bundle intact and it should be on all new installs, VMs everywhere. Um, we should pretty consistently have this and it's, there's really not much more that needs to be done. I mean, I'm I'm trying to con Ed into having one of his co-op students rewrite cert CTL in Lua, but that's a little heavier project, and it would mostly be beneficial if we could have if we could do some kind of uh, PEM parsing in Lua, so that we don't have the OpenSSL dependency, or if we could even just extract just the PEM bits out of OpenSSL, but I don't know that that happened anytime soon. Because, yeah, it's not actually needing OpenSSL for much of it other than it uses it to try to figure out the hash. And I think you found a problem with that? that... Yeah, so the, the, the main problem is that the hash is just the subject hash. So that, uh, at least with certs, uh, they have some identical subjects that are still distinct. Uh, same subject, but distinct roots. And, uh, so they then started colliding, uh, <laughs> so then only one of them would get installed because they're both battling over the name of the hash and one of them would win. So I had to fix the, uh, incrementing stuff so that we would install point dot zero dot one dot two, so on and so forth. Um, so it, it uses it for that. And then since it needs to be able to search the, uh, blacklist for, certs that are restricted it, it uses the subject hash and then gets it full fingerprint from the cert so that it can actually compare and make sure that this is the one that i should not be installing mm -hmm. um so and those that's that's the only real dependency on open ssl that it has but yeah if it had 
uh, pen parsing directly in it with Lua or whatever, it would probably be quite a bit faster too. Although I don't know the speed of CTL is really that big of a, a deal, but not really. I mean, it's it you run it once on FreeBSD update or PKG upgrade or you know it's it it gets run so infrequently that just don't really care about performance all that much. I mean, it shouldn't take sixty seconds to rehash, but you it if it takes two or three, that's not not really that big of a deal. And did you have any experience before that, like in, in crypto or with certificates in general before taking on that project? Uh, no, not really. But pretty much every project I've taken on, I didn't have any prior experience in that. It's just a new challenge. Okay, well, that's that's a good reason to, to learn something <laughs> new. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I started Search CTL, I had some vague memories from the early 2000s when, you know, you're... BSD didn't ship with a root cert bundle. Um, and I don't know that the Mozilla one was a thing yet, or wasn't very popular anyway. And so the way you got a cert bundle was you went to a Windows computer, you exported the cert bundle from Internet Explorer, then you piped that into this ridiculously long OpenSSL command to convert it from DER encoding to PEM encoding um, and split it up. And I remember learning about those subject hash in the dot zero and it was always dot zero we never had any <laughs> conflicts but it makes sense that it supports dot one and dot two etc but all this stuff about getting i think it was links the text-based browser to trust sites with uh, with ssl because one of the things we did in our bsd security class or whatever i think before that even it was i found it interesting you know i'd i'd been involved a bit in open source but mostly just as a user but then when I was reading the documentation for this Lynx browser on how to get the OpenSSL bits to work, uh, and I saw that the documentation for that was written by the professor <laughs> who was teaching it to me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, he had made his contribution to this open source project was the documentation on how to compile links with OpenSSL and get a certain yeah. level. I, I just remember for at least five years after that, I could rattle off that OpenSSL command uh, <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah, became muscle memory quickly. <laughs> yeah, it was like inform dir, outform pem, and then this file, that file, and no out and text, and then, and then redirect it. And really, computers should do that all for us, right? Separate files. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, speaking about uh, professors and university, you mentioned in the beginning that you were, were studying. Uh, so a lot of people ask us, hey, I want to get into you know, FreeBSD development or open source in general, what advice can you give someone who wants to get into, let's say, operating system programming? It's, it's kind, kind of, of one of those things that if you don't have prior experience, you really need to just find something that uh, kind of bugs you, you know, that something that needs to be better or uh, whatnot, and just dive into try figuring out, okay, what do I need to get to that point? Or if I can't figure it out, then who do I ask to you know, teach me a little bit about how this is supposed to work or who can I send a patch to that will tell me how terrible it is. Uh, and that's, that's, that's really just half the problem for a new person is finding who to connect to, to uh, talk through what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by doing that, you already start getting uh, your little network built up with the people in the project, or, you know, oh, that person is more knowledgeable in this area and that other person I can ask for that. And yeah, that 
probably starts the little journey into the, a project or any kind of uh, open source work. Yeah, I think the most valuable thing for me was getting to know a couple of people to feel comfortable being able to ask them questions and stuff. Uh, and just, you know, having that network or, or finding where that network existed on IRC or whatever to be able to, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes you can ask a question and get an answer uh, in a few minutes that will save you, you know, eight hours of battling it out yourself. Yeah, in a way, the, the people are like man pages to you, right? No one would be able to remember all these Unix commands and all these option switches. But <laughs> if you know the man page or who to ask, then they can help you much quicker than trying to remember it. I think it's, I think it's fairly fitting. <laughs> that's kind of a stretch, but <laughs> that's what I thought about it. <laughs> yeah, and especially with a with the Unix operating system, there's so much functionality in there that you sometimes also don't know about until you need it, right? You could be like the perfect uh, command line user and then still don't know about anything about X11 or, or Wayland even. Uh, if you don't know about this stuff and if you don't need it then you don't have no you know desire or drive to get into this part but yeah definitely finding a problem that bugs you is is a good start because that also solves a problem for you but you would quickly see that other people have the same problem and didn't get to that yet right and it's it's yeah i mean it's it's just overall productive uh, and when you run out of things you really want to do then you can always search Search for the bugs because they're there, they're they're there. Yeah, it was a very interesting experience to the last couple of these uh, weekend bug squashes that uh, Tom Jones and I have been doing uh, to kind of look at some of these and seeing you know how some of the bugs are a lot deeper than you expect. I remember as a kind of a precursor, I did a, a small little hackathon with uh, Mark Johnson, myself, Steve Wills, and a couple other people, and and you were there, yes, and we. I was looking at, I think the MD5 command has an option uh, to take the hash you're expecting and compare the hash of the file and then either enter or exit. So basically you can pipe the files through the MD5 command or SHA-256 or whatever, it's all the same, and tell it what the expected hash is and it won't, it'll exit with an error if the the input isn't that hash so that you can basically say, you know, only allow the validated content through. Uh, but there was some way it could goof up and, and not break when it was supposed to uh, and trying to dig into it. And it went from like, it looked like a one line patch or, you know, it would take half an hour to figure out and fix to it spent the whole day on it, but eventually did get it fixed. <laughs> I think I, I rewrote half of it and then had to start over and rewrite a different half of it instead. <laughs> but it all worked in the end. Yeah, it's not about fixing but any yeah, bugs uh, in these buggathons. Especially with open source, it seems the one of the biggest things is to find the area you find interesting and work on it. But also, as has happened to Kyle and I both, is you often just end up in an area you have no experience with, and and you learn it by trying to do a project. But you know, uh, most of them for me was there was some annoyance or itch that I had, and I wanted it to be better. And so I worked on it, and that's how I ended up working on the bootloader to to bring the boot environments menu in, and then uh, that actually was kind of tangentially related to the Lewis stuff to make that menu better, um, and then BECTL to make it easier to to manage those boot environments and add you know like the jail functionality and the uh, deeper recursive boot environments or whatever we 
end up calling them. Uh, and then search CTL was, I had this annoyance that when I have just finished a fresh install and I want to bootstrap to get my package config, uh, and it's on HTTPS somewhere. <laughs> yeah, one thing leads to the other. And, and then you have like to that. inevitably go back and look at, okay, what was, what was the argument to get it to ignore? Was there anything else you want to talk about before we let you go? I don't think so. I think we're good. All right, well, thank you very much for coming yeah, on the show with us. Thank great. you. And yeah, good luck with your projects and other endeavors you're diving into in the future. This is a different episode than we do occasionally, so interview episodes are always special. But if you want to provide us feedback, then let us know on our usual address. It's feedback at bsdnow.tv. And remember, we have this little collect ideas from uh, people out there. If you have any questions for us, maybe we will do a special interview in the episode with us in the future. If you have any questions for Alan and myself or about our producer, that's also totally valid, uh, then send that to us at feedback at bsdnow.tv and in a future episode, we might answer them. Yeah, with the with the holidays coming up, it, uh, these kind of self-interview uh, episodes are easy for us to do and, you know, let you ask those burning questions you've been wanting to ask us rather than necessarily just ask us about FreeBSD or, or BSD in general. <laughs>